0: Nine. Our text this morning will be verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. It's page 968 if you're using a few Bible. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through of the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we will be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident." So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Father, I long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Mm-hmm. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking, when you pastor done got a wild hair, there him two Sundays in a row and he preaches on Monday. I assure you, <laughs> this is not my decision to preach on Monday this morning. But that just is how, how the sermon series fell. It's not, not I didn't wake up and know, I want to go preach on Monday on Monday get bold, no, uh, um, as you know, some of you may know, we're uh, in the process of renewing our church covenant, and so going through different pieces of it and different aspects of the covenant to, you just update it and make it a little fuller, not that what we have is bad, but just attach scripture to what we say we want to gather, uh, gather uh, around and do, and so leading up to that, whenever we uh, vote on that uh, here, and I just want to preach through it, so we all have a solid understanding of what we're, what we say we want to agree to. Um, and so, way like, it just so happens that uh, <laughs> Sunday after the week that Gary's been gone that, that uh, we're preaching on money. So, um, so this part, uh, this is what our church covenant says in regards to money, says, or, or giving. says, we will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, and the relief of the poor, and, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. I'll read that again. It says, We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, and the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. So some scriptures attached to that is Matthew 28, Acts 1-8, and then this passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So, uh, let's pray. goes on. That's always good to to do before you preach. (laughs) (laughs) Father God, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity, Lord, to just walk through your word together. God, I pray that uh, your spirit would help us to hear what your word has to say to us, Lord, and that we would live faithfully in obedience to your spirit and to your word. God, we pray that your word, the reading of your word, be blessed, and that we would uh, walk away here being God, not just hearers, but doers also. In Jesus' name. amen. Amen. All right. So, um, in looking at this text today, we're going to break into a few parts. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. That's kind of a little opener. And then we'll uh, slow it down when we get to verse 6 and kind of walk through that verse by verse. Because uh, starting in verse 6, we're going to see that Paul has five motivations for giving. Paul has five motivations for giving. But uh, before we get there, I just want to explain those first five uh, verses quickly. Essentially, what Paul is saying here is be mindful to give because if you don't, then your faith may not be sincere. Be mindful to give because if you don't, your faith may not be sincere. That's essentially all of what Paul is saying in those first five verses. Um, he says, you know, it's superfluous for me to write this to you. I already know you're going to give. So, um, But just in case, for whatever reason you don't, I'm writing this to you. And I'm sending people ahead... To prepare you to give. And he's saying that, you know, in the event that you don't, you're not willing to give, you're not wanting to give, he's saying that your faith may not be sincere. Okay? If this church, if this group of Christians here, wasn't eager and willing to give, then he's saying it may not be sincere. And so um, that's not the first time we've heard this. That's why I want to read Luke chapter 3 as our scripture reading today. Because when we look at Luke chapter 3, you know, we can look to John the Baptist and see that giving is related to our salvation, if you will. Giving, giving is related to uh, our faith. So you know, in Luke chapter 3, what was John the Baptist doing? He was uh, making the way straight, preparing the way of the Lord, and these brood of vipers come to him, uh, saying, what should we do? They ask, how should we show repentance? Hey, how do we show repentance? And he says, uh, the way they need to show repentance is to share their clothes and food with the poor, that tax collectors were were supposed to stop taking extra money, and that soldiers were not to extort money. Which, you know, it's interesting. You want to know that no one asked him what to do with money. No one asked him and said, hey, what should we do with our careers? What should we do with our money? They just simply said, what do we need to do in keeping with repentance. What do we need to do to show there's a transformation? And all three responses is related to money or stuff that we have. Give away your extra clothes, your food. Stop taking extra money if you're a tax collector. If you're a soldier, don't extort wages. Okay? And so what we need to know is that you know, there is <coughs> to see, to show, that there's a spiritual transformation Uh, to see if someone truly has been spiritually transformed, just look at their money and their giving, and what they do with their stuff. Um, He says that, you know, to show a spiritual transformation, you need to give up your love for money. That's what John is saying in Luke chapter 3. It's a seemingly unrelated answer, but that's the point. And so in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is telling them that they need to give. The danger and the fear there is that if they don't give, their faith may not be sincere, that they actually may not understand the gospel of Jesus. And so, in uh, telling him they need to give, he gives them five reasons on why they need to give. So, we'll uh, walk through chapter 6, or chapter 9, verse 6, through uh, chapter 9, verse 15, through the rest of the chapter, and we're going to go over five motivators. Okay, Paul has five motivators. Uh, on giving and um, if you're taking notes the uh, sermon title this morning is God's giving God's giving and then uh, subtitle or whatever you want to call it is five motivators to giving five motivators to giving so our first motivator is this the more you give the more you get. the more you give the more you get and that's in uh, verse 6 chapter 9 verse 6 and i love it you know when you're preaching and you know the apostle says that what the point is the point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully so that's his first motivator the point is the more you give the more you get so then the next question is well what do you give and when will you get it what do you sow and when will you reap it? If someone wants money from me, that's two questions I always have. Or you know, what's it going for? What's the point? What? What? How much am I giving here? And what kind of return will it be? So what are we to sow? And what are we? Or uh, what? And when do we reap it? And here in this specific text, the what is money? There's no doubt about it. Uh, Paul is telling them, and um, they're sowing. They're sowing money here. Um, And we can give up other things, but here Paul is specifically referring to money, and Paul uses that well-known Proverbs for his argument. You sow what you reap. You you reap what you sow. (laughs) So well-known, so (laughs) well-known. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Um, And so he says if you want to reap bountifully, which who doesn't, you need to sow bountifully. And Jesus teaches that the more you give up, the more you'll get, And this teaching isn't uh, just to Paul. That's Jesus' teaching as well. The more you give up, the more you're going to give. So in Matthew 19, Jesus says that the things we sacrifice in this world will be given back a hundred times as much. The things that we sacrifice in this world will be given back to us a hundred times as much in heaven. So in thinking about the more you sow, the more you reap, I was reminded of when I first learned about investing for retirement. I was about 22. I was sitting in a state employee's credit union uh, with this lady, and I forget why I was there, but she started talking to me about investing, and she talked to me about this notion of compound interest. And you know, the illustration she gave, I was blown away by. So, in, in saving up for retirement, um, you know, there's three, you know, these three different people: Michael, Jennifer, and Sam. All of them. Donate a hundred or you contribute a hundred and twenty thousand dollars over a 10 year time time frame. All of them donate a hundred or contribute a hundred and twenty thousand dollars over a 10 year time frame. Michael started in his 20s, Jennifer in her 30s, and Sam in his 40s. And after 30 years of letting that grow, Michael had one and a half million dollars. Jennifer had 735000 and Sam had 373000 So that's a huge, huge difference. For between Michael and Sam, that's over a million dollars difference. And they all contributed the same amount over the same time frame. They just started at different paces. And so in thinking you know, about retirement and those kinds of things, you know, I remember her you know, talking to me. And she was talking about, you know, uh, kind of like a 30- to 40-year time frame. You know, it's good to start now. If you start in your 20s, you could be a millionaire, you know, by the time you retire. And, um, you know, so we're just thinking about 30- to 40-year time frame. But for a Christian and for our giving, we need to be thinking about how it will be paying off in 30 or 40 million years. 30 or 40 million years because... For us, when we get to heaven, we'll be there for all eternity. I mean, we'll be there millions and millions and millions of years. For all eternity, we will be there. So, you know, Paul is saying, and you know what Jesus teaches as well, is that the sacrifices that we give up now will be paid a hundredfold in heaven. The the things that we invest in now, we will reap a hundredfold in heaven. What we give up now, we will get greatly then. So just imagine you know, that kind of compound interest over 30 years here. Just imagine all the things that we do and give up now, how it will be repaid over the course of millions of years, over the course of eternity. Uh, Jesus taught more on money than he did on heaven and hell combined. About 15% of his teaching was focused on money. And you know, Jesus tells us to store up our treasure in heaven. To sow in eternity now by giving to Him, so that we can reap treasure in heaven. And it isn't wrong, you know. And that seems like kind of shady, if you will. Like, just, there's something not right. That just seems a little self-centered, you know, for your own personal interest. Well, I'm going to give this money now so I can get it back in heaven. Um, but it's not wrong to have a future reward as a motivator, because if it was, then Jesus wouldn't give it to us as an option. In several places throughout the gospel, Jesus says to give now, and you'll get it back more so in heaven. Like, Jesus is using that personal motivator, like, hey, it's okay to give it up now, because you'll be well taken care of in heaven. Uh, you know, this week, uh, Apple became the world's <laughs> first trillion-dollar company. Trillion-dollar company. And what have you invested in in it before the iPhone would have come out? Like, if you knew that in 2018 Apple would be worth, you know, a trillion dollar company, and, you know, the iPhone came out in like, 2007, what if you wanted to start investing in, like, 2006 in that company? If you knew that in 2018 it would be a trillion dollar company? It's the same for us. We know that whatever we give in this life is going to repeat, repay a hundredfold over the course of eternity. So the question is, why wouldn't we give as much as we can? Why wouldn't we want to reap bountifully in heaven by sowing bountifully now? So for anyone who's been a part of the church for a while, we've heard of this idea before. You've either heard this passage taught, preached, um, saw it on Facebook. You've heard that idea uh, before if you've been a part of the church for any length of time. Um, But the thing is, how many of us actually live by that? Like, we know that, okay, if we give up something now, we'll get a hundredfold in heaven. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to live that way. To live in that sacrificial way of just giving it all. Giving our all to God. In terms of money and finances and the stuff that we have. You know, it can be hard to live that way. How many of us let heaven and our treasure in heaven shape our way of thinking? Because this life, when we die, we're, that's just the start of the rest of eternity for us. And so we're all, you know, if you're a believer in Jesus, repent of your sins, trusting in Christ, you're going to spend eternity in heaven. So, you know, we're going to spend way more time in heaven than we will here and now in this life. So, um, with that said... How many of us let that shape our way of thinking now? I don't think, uh, you know, I don't, not, not every day, probably not every week. You know, I'm not necessarily thinking of heaven and thinking about heaven and thinking about necessarily how my decisions here will impact there. Um, and I don't think it's because I don't intentionally want treasure in heaven. And none of us can say that. It's like, well, I'm not going to think about heaven because I don't want treasure in heaven. You know, I'm not going to let heaven shake my giving now because I don't want I don't want treasure in heaven. No one's going to intentionally think that. Nobody wants that. But it's more like we just don't think of heaven much in general. So when I was in my 20s and that lady was talking about retirement to me, did I start investing $1,000 a month so I could be a millionaire when I retired? No. Why? Because, well, that's 40 years away. I didn't even start a career, you know. That was so far to me. And for us, you know, we like to think that we can just kind of go on forever because you know, really, death isn't always immediately facing us. So it may just be that we don't think about heaven very much, and which is why that future reality doesn't shape us on a daily basis. So I have a, a quote here. Um, it's from a book called Heaven um, by Randy Alcorn. Robin saw it sitting out. She said, why are you looking at this book on heaven when you're talking about money? Say you'll find out. <laughs> so he says this. And and he poses some questions to help us to to start thinking about heaven on a daily basis. Because that future reality should be guiding us today and every day. He says, setting our minds on heaven is a discipline that we need to learn. So ask yourself these questions every day. Do I daily reflect on my own mortality? Do I daily reflect on my own mortality? Do I daily realize that there's only two destinations, heaven or hell? and that I and every person I know will go to one or the other? Do I daily realize there are only two destinations, heaven or hell, and that I and every person I know will go to one or the other? Do I daily remind myself that this world is not my home and that everything in it will burn, leaving behind only what's eternal? Do I remind myself daily this world is not my home and that everything in it will burn, leaving behind only what's eternal? Do I daily recognize that my choices and actions have a direct influence on the world to come? The decisions we make today have a direct influence on the world to come. Do I daily realize that my life is being examined by God, the audience of one, and that the only appraisal for my life that will ultimately matter is His? Do we do that daily? realizing that God is daily evaluating our life and that the only approval we should seek is His. And then do I daily reflect on the fact that my ultimate home will be the new earth, where I will see God and serve Him as a resurrected being in a resurrected human society, where I will overflow with joy and delight in drawing nearer to God by studying Him and His creation, and where I will exercise to God's glory Dominion over his creation. Do I daily reflect on the fact that my ultimate home will be the new earth where I will see God and serve him as a resurrected being in a resurrected human society, where I will overflow with joy and delight in drawing nearer to God by studying him and his creation, and where I will exercise to God's glory dominion over his creation? That's our first motivator. The more, the more you give, the more you get. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. So he's telling the, uh, those in Corinth, look, give. Get ready to give. Be prepared to give. Because the more you give now, the more you will reap later. That's our first motivator. Our second motivator is found in verse 7. Verse 7 says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the second motivator is this. God's love. God's love. God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, we want to make God happy, right? I mean, none of us wants to go about, you know, wanting to make God mad. Like, Lord, please smite me today. No. We want to please God in all that we do. And one thing that pleases Him is when we give cheerfully. So God's love is our second motivator. Paul is talking about how much one should give, and he says that in our giving, God loves it when we do it cheerfully. So, you know, there's this whole question of, well, how much should I give? You know, should I give 10%? Should I give more than 10%? Is the tithe from the Old Testament bearing on the New Testament? Those kinds of things. And personally, I don't think so. I think 10% is a good starting place when you give financially to the church. I think 10% is a good starting place, but me personally, I don't believe that that's commanded for Christians. Because Paul says right here, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. The 10% tithe is nowhere commanded by Jesus, and it's not recommended in the New Testament, but rather the New Testament teaches that we give our all. Hmm. Everything that we have belongs to God. Everything that we are, from our mind to our bodies, to our wallets, to our homes, to our cars, to our clothes... Everything belongs to God. Should be used for His glory alone. So, uh, you know, so I don't necessarily believe in ten percent. There are other Christians that do, and that's fine. They have you know good arguments for that as well. I mean, personally, I don't think so. I don't think that's necessarily binding, you know, binding on Christians. But I do think that it is a good starting place to give at least ten percent to the church because of God's pattern in the Old Testament. But. Uh, you know, that, that's one of those things that you know, Jesus never you know, reiterated to the church that no apostle ever reiterated to give you know, 10% so um, you know, in, in, in saying this what Paul says here he's just again highlighting and sort of repeating what Jesus did in his ministry because what was the Sermon on the Mount about? it wasn't just about rehashing the Ten Commandments but it was rehashing them in a way that shows that God looks at the heart so if we look at a woman with lustful intent, we commit adultery. Okay. If we look at a person with anger in our heart, we, we're guilty of murdering them. So Paul here is doing just what Jesus did many times in examining the heart. We're to give cheerfully, not begrudgingly. If we give something with the wrong attitude, then we've given a tainted offering. We've given a tainted offering to God if we give it with the wrong attitude. If we give something with the wrong attitude, we've given a tainted of offering, in which we know God doesn't accept tainted of offerings. Okay? And throughout the whole Old Testament and in our Savior, every offering given to God had to be without spot and without blemish. And so if we come to God with the wrong attitude and our giving, it's a tainted of offering. Pharisees did what God commanded, but we know that God wasn't pleased with the Pharisees. They did what was acceptable you know, externally, but we know their heart was wrong. That's why Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. You know, they did what God commanded, but it wasn't acceptable because it wasn't genuine. It wasn't genuine. And you know, we're the same. We don't like it. Uh, we, we don't like it when someone doesn't do something out of sincerity. You know, we do this with kids all the time. If one kid is mean to another, you say, apologize. It's like, sorry. <laughs> and, and what do we say? What do we say? Say it like you mean. mean it. Say it like you mean it. We do that too, okay? God wants a, a sincere heart from us, and, and we exhibit that daily, you know? Say it like you mean it. We expect sincerity out of kids, out of each other, you know, if me and Robin getting a tip, you know, or whatever, you know, and I apologize you so we? You know, it didn't sound like you did, or, you know, well, it's not what you said, it's how you said it, or, you know, all those other kinds of things. We want sincerity out of people, and that's the same with God and in our giving. God loves a cheerful giver, and he wants us to be joyful. God wants us to be joyful in our giving. Uh, To quote Randy Alcorn again, he says, um, quoting Jesus, store up for yourselves, treasure in heaven. Doesn't it seem strange that Jesus commands us to do what's in our own best interest? Jesus is commanding us to store up treasure in heaven. So doesn't it seem strange that he commands us to do what's in our own best interest? Wouldn't that be selfish? No. God expects and commands us to act out of enlightened self-interest. He wants us to live to his glory, but what is to his glory is always to our good. Selfishness is when we pursue gain at the expense of others. But God doesn't have a limited number of treasures to distribute. When you store up treasures for yourself in heaven, it doesn't reduce the treasures available to others. So storing treasures for ourselves, it's not a selfish act because God can abundantly give back a hundred times to everyone who does that. It's okay because we don't harm or take away in doing that. Rather, we are giving of these resources, the resources God lets us enjoy, we give them up for the kingdom so that others might come to know sure. our great King and so receive the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So, why we give. That's why that part is tacked on into that church covenant as well. All that we're giving, all that we're doing is for the kingdom. It's Amen. for the mission of God so that other people can know our great King and Savior and receive that fullness of joy. And the key here is found in that parable of the hidden treasure. You know, the guy who's walking through the field, and then he stumbles upon the treasure, so he goes and sells everything that he has so that he can buy the field. And he says, in his joy, he goes and does that. Now, every time we've heard this, has anyone ever felt bad for that guy because he lost everything? No. Has anyone... None of us has ever felt bad or pitied that guy because he lost everything. Why? Because in giving up all he had, he gained everything. And he was joyful because he knew that what he found was far better than what he already had. And with our Savior, with our salvation, that's the same. When we get God, when we get Jesus, when we get that salvation, we get something that's far greater than this world and all the possessions in it could ever compare to You know why God loves a cheerful giver? Because when we give cheerfully, it shows that we get it. That we understand God's mission. That we understand that His Son is greater than the world. Again, we do the very same thing. If we're teaching little to walk or to potty or to do other things, you know, we're working, working, working. And then when it clicks, he finally gets it. We're happy. We are so excited when he finally gets it. And so that's the same with us. God is joyful and cheerful when we get it. God's excited because it's a reflection that His Spirit is at work in us, that we are understanding more about who God is and what His mission is all about. Quickly, our third motivator. Down verses 8 through 10. God will supply all our needs. Verses 8 through 10. So many of y'all know uh, a couple that I speak often of, Mr. and Mrs. Alley. You know, they've both dis- they're both deceased now. But one of Mrs. Alley's favorite hymns was His Eye is on the Sparrow. I want to read the second stanza. It says, Let not your heart be troubled, his tender word I hear. And resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Paul says, look, God is going to provide for you. That hymn is a reflection of that truth. God's eye is on us, and he provides for us. And again, he's just echoing Jesus. You know, where Jesus, you know, his disciples said, what shall we eat, what shall we wear, what shall we do? And he says, don't worry about any of that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. So, that third motivator, God will supply all our needs. So, what do we have to lose? Knowing that God will supply everything that we need, everything we need for life and godliness, God is going to give it to us. What then do we have to lose to give it all to Him? Our fourth motivator is this God is glorified by man through our giving. I'm sorry, God is glorified by many through our giving. God is glorified through many in our giving. That's verses 11 through 14. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. My fourth motivator, God is glorified by many through our giving. Your giving of funds, as Christians, as believers, our giving of funds, of material things, of the possessions that God allows us to have, when we use those for His glory, many people will give thanks to Him. Many people will give thanks to Him. And... Um, not just always in the initial act, but it overflows. It's a ripple effect. So things that we do here as a church, the Edward Food, uh, the Edward Best Food Ministry. Okay, yeah, we're giving it to Edward Best for his kids, but no, we're giving it to God first, and He has led this church to invest in a ministry like that. So we are giving it to God, and those families are thankful, and they're praising God for your giving. Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, the North Carolina Baptist Offering, our support to Toronto, the other ministries that this church has supported over the years, or that you individually may support. People affected by that give thanks to God for you and for what you have sacrificed. They give thanks to God, they glorify Him for what we do. So, our fourth motivator is giving God the glory. That's our motivation, that God is going to be glorified in what we do. Your giving, it's not to pay me, it's not to pay Gary, it's not necessarily about keeping the lights on here. Your giving is to God. Your giving of whatever it is, is to God. And God has led this church to use the funds in these ways, but it's first to God. In the Old Testament, the people gave their offerings to God. That 10% they gave it to God, and then God directed it to go to the Levites. For us today, in your giving, you're giving it to God first, and this church has been led to use the funds in this way. So it's not primarily about the light or us or other things, but it's about God's glory and making sure that we're getting the gospel to the community here and everywhere that we have a presence. And then lastly, our fifth motivator, verse 15, says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So our fifth motivator is, we give because God gave us his son. Plain and simple, we give because God gave us his son. Paul ends this section, Paul ends this chapter with this short phrase. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Why does he end it that way? Because it is his gift that is everything. The giving of his son changed the world. The giving of his son changed eternal destinies. And I pray that it's changed yours as well. We give because he gave his son first. We love because he loved us first. Any good that we do is because God has done it to us first. It is this that motivates us. If we get this, then we can give freely of our money and other resources. He opens this section, Paul does, by warning that your faith may not be sincere if you don't give. And he closes it by thanking God for the faith. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. We can't express enough thanksgiving. We can't proclaim His greatness enough. We can't uh, Proclaim His glory enough. As I said last week, God uses the church to advance the gospel around the world. And to that, God uses the money contributed to the church to advance the gospel around the world. God uses the money given to the church to spread the gospel both here and abroad. In church, we have no reason to give it not to not give our all. You know, if you're trying to figure out how much money I should give, know that God looks at your heart and considers that. I think of the widow who, who gave just a coin. And God said he she gave far more than what others had given. You know, in, in thinking through this, you know, I'm not saying that you have to go live like a pauper. You know, if you want a luxury car, that's between you and God. If you want, you know, a used car, that's between you and God. But whatever you have, the resources that you have is to be used for God's glory. That's plain and simple. If you want a, you know, AC Cadillac, great. But be sure you go and feed some homeless people too. Make sure you give and contribute to help others as well. See, in trying to think of how much should we give and when should we give and all those kinds of things. Look, the earth is the Lord's and everything therein. We are His. He has redeemed us. He has saved us. We belong to Him. So He has or should have all of our stuff to start with. So in your giving it, in your giving it, there's no reason as to why we want to give it our all. Every resource God has given us. Why not invest in the things that last? All that he's given us, he has told us, look, so now you'll reap abundantly later. The cars we drive, the houses we buy, the degrees and the awards that we earn in this world will burn away. will perish. Amen. And one last quote I want to leave you with. And this is going to tell you what will last for eternity. What will last for eternity is every service to the needy every dollar given to feed the hungry, every cup of cold water given to the thirsty, every investment in missions, every prayer for the needy, every effort invested in evangelism, and every moment spent caring for precious children, including rocking them to sleep and changing their diapers. That, my friends, is what will last for eternity. May we invest in those things. We will reap in heaven what we've sown in this life. So let's be eager to give. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.